Unplanned Trek. Hello and welcome to Unplanned Trek, the show made by two dipshits from Tasmania who also didn't get killed at Wolf 359. I'm Andrew and with me is Isaac. Really excited to have on the show this week, Todd Stashwick. Thank you so much for making some time for us today. Pleasure's mine. I was thinking of doing the introduction that you did in episode one about the not needing to, that I could start the podcast without you, like you started dinner without um, Picard and Riker, but uh, you know, that's it, just too easy. <laughs> You'd be the first. Oh, right. Oh, all right. Well, here we are. Captain Jean-Luc Picard Medal. So the Jean-Luc Picard Medal is awarded to the three best characters of the episode. And this week the responsibility's fallen onto me to, to have a look at it. So first of all, I'm going to give one point to Riker. And I feel like he's a little bit hard done by. And in fact, I think he would be winning so far for, this, for the first four episodes of the series. But this medal doesn't care if, about the first four episodes. It only cares about this episode. And in this episode, I have him down as the third best player. His pain and Frakes' delivery is amazing. And in fact, I'll go as far as to say inspiring. So he, there's a lot of talk these days about toxic masculinity. And it's certainly been something that's been in my world. And um, I hope that the next generations, pardon the pun, that follow after us get better at it. And there was a line that um, I'm showing my boys that I think is the opposite of toxic masculinity. And I think that, what's the opposite of toxic? Good for you? Good for you, masculinity? Anyway, Frakes, as Riker, delivers this just perfectly. He says to Troy, he says, I know, I'm sorry, and I'm going to fix it. And I just thought to myself, that's how real men talk. Like, he's taken ownership, there's no blame, there's no anger, there's ownership, there's commitment to improve, but there's none of that, you see it so much online, people just thinking their way is the best way and there's no willingness to bend or or concede, like it's it's it, you need to win these things. He's like, no, no, I've, I've spotted what this is, it's me, and don't, don't worry, I've got it, you know, and I just thought that was brilliant. So one vote goes to him. Two votes, Jack Crusher. So he came up with the idea of surfing out of the womb, space womb. Um, I also suspect that he was underage at the bar because it was five years ago. We, we know he's 22, 23. Is he in London? I think you've got to be 18 to drink there. But I can also, I also feel that an, a 16, 17-year-old Jack Crusher would definitely try to get into the bar. Um, he asked if he was going to go bald. Fantastic question to ask. If you only had one question, like if you were Picard's descendant and you only had one question you could ask, that's the right question. So, so well done, Jack Crusher. He also worked with his dad. Like Jack Crusher, the other Jack Crusher had before him, he helped navigate blindly. But this time it wasn't just for, um, just, just in the sake of trying to get a Mornhub middle point. It was to actually try to get out of there. Three votes. Captain Shaw. Not only an awesome guest for our pod, but revealed his backstory with a massive and well-delivered soliloquy, monologue? You know, you'll, you'll tell me. Revealed his backstory, which was massive. He's also pro-cannabis, um, which I, I only 
kind of got on my second watching. But yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the three, the Wolf 359 speech. Um, on that subject, though, there's been a few instances so far in, in the series where you've really had an opportunity to put Picard in his place. And yeah. how enjoyable is that to do, considering he's not only an icon for this series and season, but we're kind of getting to like a 35-year icon here. Yeah, you know, it, uh, any time an actor can have a scene that has meat on the bone, that uh, that allows you to kind of butt heads uh, and 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 work through stuff that isn't just just exposition. It's clearly relationship, right? Yeah. So so all of that stuff that's bubbling under the surface in the scene, uh, you know, there's there's what we're saying, and then there's what's happening emotionally under the scene, and and that's the stuff we long for as an actor, and then to uh, have that opportunity to do that scene with such iconic seasoned uh, performers and characters is all the more uh, enjoyable. And I, I think it made it easier for me uh, to jump into the fray with these scenes that are antagonistic hmm. uh, so that I, I immediately got to feel comfortable with the character taking high status. Excellent. Uh, that he wasn't uh, sycophantish and that he wasn't in awe of their legend. It just made, uh, it was such a declaration of independence mm. uh, for the character and for my introduction into this legacy franchise. It was so much fun. Excellent. And it's such a left turn to what we're used to in Star Trek as well. Like, um, Riker comes up with the idea of a ruse and without meeting your character, it's just expected that you'll fall for it. And when you don't, like the, the fandom was like, how dare he push back? But I'm like, no, we don't know what his orders were to begin with. Like you might be doing something super important that, that you know, hasn't been revealed yet, let alone, you know, you didn't fall for it. You did the right thing. It was great. Thanks. Yeah, you know, if, if this had been a, an episode of TNG and mm. some... Two, uh, two guys come onto the ship and just start throwing their weight around without any actually written orders. And I can see through, I don't know what they're up to, but I can tell they're lying to me. Hmm. Uh, you know, Picard would have pushed back if that had happened yeah. to him, especially if his first officer betrayed a direct, off, uh, direct order. I mean, all of that stuff is... Uh, he is. He's justified. Now, was he rude? Sure. Yeah. That's his biggest crime. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's right. But but the, even that is understandable, and and gets more understandable as the season goes. Like you know, you you, you weren't expecting True. him. He comes on board, ruffles a few feathers, straightens a few collars, and yeah, <laughs> you didn't want to have a meal with him that night. <laughs> exactly. Keiko O'Brien Medal. Well, this was a really, really hard one because, I mean, like, that was an amazing episode of Trek, but it was also an amazing episode of television. It was just, um, it was so much fun, so, so much throwback to next gen, so much. It was cleverly made. And so, you know... 
for me it was really hard to find you know three characters or three anybody to do with the episode who were basically dicks but but I managed to rise above it and I think I've got it now the f- one vote one vote in the Brownlow the KOB the Keiko O'Brien not the Kevin O'Bartlett medal goes to the changeling that talked to Vadik after she had to cut her hand off to talk to him now there's a couple of reasons for that firstly that's the dumbest way to communicate like because in this part of the future they actually have communicators so can you imagine if every time I wanted to ring my mum I had to cut my hand off like super inconvenient you know like what if it doesn't go on the right way again or like this is it's 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 overly complicating something that is really really simple just you know just ring him up don't be like chop my hand off and shit okay so that was weird so that dude gets one vote and also he looked he had a face like a skull and I, I, I didn't like that that was like rude so second vote is un uh, unnamed cadets who cadets let's go all of them who interrupted picard when he was having his chicken parmigiana or his schnitzel or um you know a carbonara pasta or I, I, look i didn't look what he was eating but dude goes to a bar on his own to have a quiet lunch maybe a couple of sherbs you you don't be going after asking for telling like you know stories about his life and shit that's like you don't do that i mean you can go ask for an autograph that's okay or a selfie autograph's cool selfie's cool but not like oh you know can you tell us stuff that will basically let us you know ace the next exam we get at uh, starfleet academy no no that's that's uncool right so and three votes three votes was pretty easy three votes from the start and i've banged on about this before three votes was the stupid changeling on the titan because okay changeling turned into some unknown transporter chief and then turned into geordie's kid which then got him shot and then halfway in between then he almost redeemed him him or herself they self by changing into goop and sliding through a gap in a bulkhead now that well and that was weird because there shouldn't be gaps in bulkheads i mean i'm like I'm, I'm pretty sure that like you know airtight is a thing that ships are pretty good and pretty keen on but still totally clumsy if if shapeshifter wanted to stop uh, stop them from reconfiguring the nacelles to do their crazy balumba stuff or whatever um just turn into a wasp and bite one of them on the eyeball or turn turn into one of those worms that you know khan had on the planet and just totally stick yourself inside their ear and then you can ear not rear okay calm calm down isaac okay not rear ear although if you want to go up the rear it's fine it's fine you know it's the 25th century you do whatever you want um but then it's like um, it was just a, to, to trying to turn into someone who they know, who they can quiz and ask questions, is stupid. So all shapeshifters, apart from Odo, who was really bad at actually shapeshifting, are apparently dumb. So 
there's my three votes from one of the best episodes of Star Trek that I've um, ever seen. This is Jack Dorino from Let's Talk About Treks, and this is too short to be a promo. The best line of the episode. I quite like doing the line of the week. It means that I, I've watched the episode with, through a different lens. Like I'm not just there to enjoy it. And I guess that's what a show like this does. Like We're, re- we're reviewing it, but we're not reviewing it by just going, you know, the show was great, nine stars. We, we go, you know, it doesn't matter if the show was good or bad with what we do. By the way, this one was, was fucking awesome. But what we do in this is basically go, hey, there's certain things that need to be looked at. Let's look at them. And one of them is line of the week. Huge introduction. Anyway, let me intimidate... Um, our special guest with my delivery of um, of great lines in the episode. So the first one I've got is Riker. He said, "She feels everything when I felt nothing," and I'm like, "Oh, that just hurt me to the core." It's true. We had Resi Goo descri- um, with Captain Shaw describing the changelings. Um, we had, and this was interesting. Um, Jack Crusher said, Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. And, well, I think that has different meaning depending where you are. I know Fanny's a name, but, you know, that would be a Mournhub point back here anyway. Uh, let's see what else. We've got, <laughs> I like to when Riker heard, um, said, I know that story too, kid, basically putting Jack Crusher in his place. Um, of course, one of the best lines was Ensign LaForge saying, Oh, actually, Seven saying, Ensign LaForge always calls me Seven out of respect. And, oh, that was shady, wasn't it? We, we, we felt that. Um, but the two best lines, but they were all good good lines, okay? And on a normal week, they probably win. But we've got, you know, um, did you just throw an asteroid? It followed up by, you're goddamn right I did. That was Fantastic. I mean, Frakes di- di- um, directed the episode. He needed no direction on himself there. He just delivered it out of sight. Fantastic. Uh, but the the best line of the episode, or lines, is the, the Captain Shaw monologue. It's that Wolf 359 speech, I, I just found amazing. And I, I had a couple of questions about it. I, I was wondering, first of all, how many takes you had to do for that, that, that scene, if you can remember. I don't... I don't count. I think it was uh, the the wonderful thing because Jonathan Frakes directed that mm, scene, mm. Um, and he he understands an actor's process deeply because that's how he started in this world and continues to be delivering some of the finest work of his career as an actor mm. as well as a director. Uh, the fortunate part is he gave me all the room to play and would always let me reset the monologue from the beginning Great. and then go through it all at once so that there was a connected continuous line of thought and then each time he would go okay that's fun let's let's slide the lever this way let's let's make that moment hotter let's pull that back let's so he was playing with it and and giving me different inspiration along the way. And then I would just get to go back to the beginning and do it mm. again. And then obviously he chose in the editing room how to tell that story visually 
with what versions of my performance he was using. And so um, as far as how many times I did it, I don't remember, but mm. I think it was, it was, uh, it wasn't a, 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 an abusively <laughs> exhausting amount. Right. Uh, it, but it was, it was enough to have enough at bats that I felt comfortable walking away from that day of work going, ah, I'm sure you got it in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny you mentioned the word exhausting. That was part two of my question. I was wondering, like, how do you come down from that? Because obviously you put a lot of, I'm imagining personal energy into that. And even if it's not personal, it's energetic in itself to display those emotions that we potentially keep hidden most of the time. You know, how did you kind of unpack that or unwind afterwards? Yeah, I mean, I'm not not too much of a method guy. Uh, I, I will say on the days that I know I have a scene like that, uh, I will probably get myself quiet and, and off to the side to kind of shut mm. out any distractions. I might listen to music to help me center and to help. Because there's, there's a thousand and one distractions on a set. There's catering. There's there's people setting lights. There's people moving around. There's background. There's, there's a lot of distractions. And so for when a scene requires me to how should I say, uh, deliver in a truthful way something that may be outside of the bonds of much of the everyday work of, mm. of the performance, right? A lot of the, the kind of rude, sarcastic, uh, or just being a captain and or giving orders and, and just those kind of normal scenes, uh, or I should say less exceptional in the writing. Like this, obviously, yeah. in the show kind of took a moment to to live in this man's pain for a bit so i have to in preparation for that i do have to kind of shut up shut out distractions for a bit and 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 go internal so that i can get my imaging down so that i can see the things in my head that i need to see so that i can relive those experiences uh obviously this is how the sausage is made and it's it's on some level dull uh, in terms of the process, it, it, you know, we all go through our own process. Uh, afterwards, I think at the end of the day, after you're holding yourself in a in a, a state, yeah, it's, it's it can be tiring. You sort of mm. go home and you hit the pillow pretty hard at the end of the day, uh, and then you're also like, okay, good. Uh, that that's a lot of uh, information to have to convey. Yeah. In that phase of work, so uh, I'm glad it's offloaded. And I'm glad it's now in the can, and uh, and now it's out of my hands to do with. I've done my part. Other people now have to uh, do what they will with it. Yeah, when I watched it, I was watching it with my son, who's who's 11, and as soon as you started with, um, it, it, to paraphrase, let me tell you about how I met your old man. I'm, my, my mouth opened yeah. straight away, aghast. I'm like. I know where this is going. This is going to be brutal. And yeah, it was just amazing to hear. And as I said, so well delivered that, um, yeah, to me, it's certainly a highlight of the season so far. What? Good God. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. The Wharf Medal is
it's it's just for fighting. You get awarded points for being part of a fight. And there were a few fights this week. I'm not sure if you spotted them. But we saw Seven fight a changeling. We saw Seven fight a changeling again. And we saw the Shrike and the Titan have a fight. But probably the most memorable fight of the episode was done with words. It was Shaw v Picard. Now, Picard didn't strike back. But you don't have to strike back to be a point. You just had to be part of the fight. And it was certainly part of the argument. It was just mute for most of it. You, you touched on before that Shaw hasn't just been an exposition character, which I think is really pleasing for a, a character that's new. And again, with all these existing characters that are, that are back, it's easy to give them all the meat. But Shaw certainly had, had a lot on the bone there. I've, I've written he's been deep, funny and key to the story. My question is, though, would you be friends with Shaw? Can't stash work? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't, think, yeah. I don't think my life would ever come into contact. I mean, again, I'm, I'm humbled by anybody who, uh, who, who serves uh, in the military. That's, that is, you know, I, I just play it on TV. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't see why. I don't see why not. I yeah. just don't know how much contact I would come in with a captain of a of a Starfleet ship. Uh, yeah, but good I don't point. See why not? I think I think on an on an uh, average mm. day, uh, he's a pretty okay guy mm. uh, with a with a good sense of humor. If not, you know, a bit by the rules. But you know, we need those people. Yeah, in, in that's our right. world, Especially in our military. Um, yeah, I think he's pretty funny and really handsome. Uh, so, <laughs> a doppelganger, yeah. So yeah, I, I I don't see why I wouldn't be friends with him. Uh, I just don't know how much actual contact I would come with him. Yeah. In my, I don't know how much an actor would come into contact with uh, the commander of uh, a military vessel. Yeah, true. Yeah, it, it hasn't it hasn't come in in my forty years. It hasn't come in my remit yet. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've met people who've served in the military, and I've often and I make a point to let them know that I'm grateful for their service. But uh, as far as the captain of a, of a, of a vessel, no, I haven't really come into contact with many yeah. of those. <laughs> um, not, not a wrong answer to this one, but were you a, uh, a fan or a, um, a certainly aware of the franchise before you, you, you oh. kept into Captain Shaw? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Star Trek, uh, I, I am old enough to know, uh, to to have been a fan of the original series. Yeah. Not exactly when it was airing, because I think I was literally just being born Yeah, 68. But I think by 74, we were watching the reruns on TV, and then my cousin had given me my first action figures, and they were Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Awesome. And so I've been pretending to be a captain since I was six. Oh, terrific. So, uh, and, yeah, and then, uh, and then in the 90s, I was, you know, uh, pursuing acting in, in Chicago, mm. and uh, my roommate and I, Oliver, uh, he was my best friend since high school, TNG was appointment television when, when it was on because A, we didn't have streaming service. There weren't DVDs back then yet. So if, it, if you didn't watch it when it was on, you didn't see it. That's right. So, so you had to wait for, uh, you'd either have to wait for it somehow to loop around in a rerun or in syndication or watch it when it aired. And so, oh, I think VCRs were there. So we were able to mm. tape things. Hmm. But for the most part, TNG was appointment television for us back in the early 90s. And um, how cool is it that you could kind of go back in time and tell yourself that, hey, you're all part of Best of Both Worlds now, which is like the iconic, 
you know, top 10, yeah, it's, top it's, five. It's, it's pretty bonkers. Uh, I made the joke that if you could tell six-year-old Stashwick that someday he'd be a Starfleet captain, I would say, yeah, that totally tracks. <laughs> uh, the, uh, no, I mean, like, I, I, I've been... Uh, I've been living in an imaginary world since I can walk, and, uh, and 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 so it's not a surprise that I'm doing this for a living. But but the fact that this character and I had been on Enterprise, and so yeah. I, I I was already somehow connected to the lore of, of of Star Trek. But this is this is next level, and uh, and the, to be tethered to such an iconic point in history of the franchise is really humbling and thrilling. Yeah, terrific. You, you, I, when I was um, researching you a little bit to to have our chat today, I, I noticed that you'd been on Enterprise and a really cool character um, where you got to be a, a Romulan spy posing as a Vulcan. Um, do, you have, do you have any stories from your, your one week on the Enterprise set? Man, that was fun because my friend... Uh... My friend Kara Zedeker was playing T'Pau. She was playing young T'Pau. Right. And so we got to be like, look what we're doing. <laughs> and just being, you know, sat in the chair and being fitted for my Vulcan ears or Romulan mm. ears, having the haircut put on and having my eyebrows uh, covered so that they could put the Vulcan Romulan eyebrows on. All of that was just so much fun. And I remember standing there in my silver jumpsuit holding my Lirpa. Uh, on the set, but the set is the planet Vulcan. Yeah. That was that was not lost on me. Like I was like, you know, I used to play Star Trek in my backyard, and now <laughs> I'm actually on a playground set that's actually being filmed and telling the world, nope, this is Vulcan. So it was, it was very much already a dream come true. And who knew that somewhere down the road, Picard was in my future, right? Yeah. That yeah. Was, uh, Amazing. That was, and again, like that episode links to another classic TNG one because it's almost like pre, um, what is it called? Reunification. It's pre reunification. I can't say that. <laughs> but yeah, almost, yeah. And that, that's kind of like that. And Tapal, which is connected to the original series. Do re mi fa sol la ti. Do Unplanned Trek Mailbag. And Todd, we've got plenty of questions from listeners to our show. Oh, just to clarify, we have listeners to our show, like hundreds of them. Uh, from uh, Jessie from Crusher Convo podcast, she asked, Todd, what is your most memorable experience, 12 Monkeys or Star Trek? She loves both characters. Well, you have a chicken and egg scenario there. Uh, I guess so. In that, yeah. in that uh, I mean, I spent four seasons mm. on Twelve Monkeys yeah. and uh, played a character that went through an arc over four seasons. Mm. Started out as as a villain of season one, uh, and then was made part of the, the team of heroes uh, to season two forward. Not without its uh, its. Uh, grist there was a lot of tumult between these characters at that first off but uh so 12 monkeys is is part of my dna and then mm. i would say it's it that's what forged the relationship with terry metallis yeah that laid the groundwork 
for me to come on board the Titan. So uh, I am, you know, t- 12 Monkeys, it's A, it's great science fiction, and mm. it's, it's, it's pure Terry Metalis, and he brought all of that love and sensibility for, for great storytelling and great characters and relationships, he brought all of that over to Picard. Now, mm. part two to your question, uh, so that that impacted my life on a very deeply personal level. On mm. a very public level, mm. one would would be foolish not to say that Picard is probably the most uh, exposure I've had to the science fiction community right. because of the audience base is so passionate and vocal and mm. uh, and um, kind uh, and and huge. Mm. So. Uh, so the impact that it's probably having on my day-to-day life, I would have to say Picard. Yeah. But I didn't get Picard uh, without 12 Monkeys. Yeah, yeah, so, I get so it. So that's why I say it's kind of a chicken and egg scenario. Yeah, that's great. With, with, with your um, previous relationship and Terry knowing you so well before Picard, did you um, have a different audition series than what like a, a a green actor or someone that wouldn't necessarily have that potential relationship earlier was your yeah your audition process or were you already written in the role so oh for picard yeah 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 i mean the the, the joke i've made is that uh, what was your audition like for picard well it was more yeah. <laughs> so yeah they I, you know i i i told this story before but it, it tickles me yeah. because uh i want to say around July or August of 2021, Terry rang me up and said, hey, uh, we have a role for you on season three of Picard, and it's the reunion season. And my immediate response was, that's amazing. I'm flattered, and I can't wait to get to see who's going to play it. Because that never works out. Right, yeah. Like when, yeah. When, when they say, you're the one in mind, like, you know, the rare moment where you actually get to end up being there because so many other people weigh in on that decision that you never know if it's if it's going to work. And, and actually, there was a role in season two of Picard that he had in mind for me, but I didn't get it. Right. Uh, this role he wrote with me in mind. In fact, I'm told, humblingly, that uh, they were calling him Captain Stashwick in the writer's room before I even got the part, before they even changed the name to Shaw. Um, and so... Uh, about a month and a half later, paperwork went through and I was being fitted for my Starfleet uniform. Wonderful. That's fantastic. So it was, it was, as they say in the business, a straight offer. Yeah. Which is a rare and wonderful thing. But also testament to what you'd been doing ahead of that. So that's really cool. As you say, if a four-year audition does sound like the right answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. This next question comes from the mysterious K from H. What aspect of the character did you make up in order for you to play a better Liam Shaw? Like, what was your headcanon on what the character was like? I was, I was given all of the information about who he was mm. prior to, I think, the first day of shooting. Like, I right. knew, so that I knew why I was saying what I was saying to them in the dinner scene, because yep. I knew what happened at Wolf 359. Yep. I knew all of that under courage. And so hopefully, obviously, that those thoughts and memories uh, that, and experiences that the character has gone through inform even that dinner scene. Yeah, 
Yeah, awesome. Chris asks, how was your experience of being directed by Jonathan Frakes in episode three and four of this season? Two Takes Frakes. What was he like, mate? I think, I think the reference to Two Takes Frakes is more about him as an actor. Okay. I think, uh, I think as a director, he, uh, like, he just goes in as an actor and he knows and he does his thing and, he, and he's like, oh, it, it ain't broke, there's not much else to do. Uh, moving on, as a director, he's in a, he's looking at it differently than he is as an actor, and he's he's shaping it. So he does uh, give the actors room to try different things in more than just two takes. Yeah, great. And sometimes it takes more than two takes, especially for scenes that do require a bit more TLC that aren't just pushing plot. Um, he gives the, the room and the, uh, and the space as a performer to to live in those moments. And then he offers his, his direction or he stays out of your way when he likes what he's seeing. And, mm. you know, yeah, he's, he's a bit more... Uh, he's not two takes breaks. Our next question comes from Michelle from Crusher Convo. She says, I'm going to stay on brand and ask a Beverly Gates question. What was it like having your character's life saved by Dr. Beverly Crusher? And what is your favorite memory of working with Gates McFadden? Gates is wonderful. She's, uh, you know, she's, she's comes from stage. And so then I come from stage. And so there is, there's that camaraderie of, uh, you know, old theater actors, uh, that you immediately have a rapport with. She is very kind and generous with her uh, with her time and attention, and she's very, uh, you know, so much of what you see as Beverly is Gates. Like she's very nurturing, and she's very, she's just a very sweet, wonderful, talented woman. Uh, and you know, knowing that you're in the good doctor's hands uh, as a uh, when you're a wounded patient in her sick bay. Uh, you know, you, you, you trust everything's going to work out. <laughs> they seem to be making a point that she knows more about medicine than your actual doctor on board. There's been a couple of times where Crusher's kind of overruled her, which has been, I think, cool for the fans to go, yeah, she's still got it. Well, she's also had far more life experience mm. than Dr. Oaks. And Dr. Oaks is a perfectly capable doctor. Uh, she's wonderful. Tiffany uh, Sheppes is her name, and she right. is uh, she's actually the wife of one of our writers, Sean Tretta. And oh. Tiffany is an accomplished actress yeah. of her, in of her own accord, um, and uh, and so so. But having Bev step on the stage, Bev has been in far more, and, and now she's sort of a Doctors Without Borders mm. at this point. So she's a far more uh, experienced with having to make big life uh, saving decisions on the fly because of the amount of time she's been doing it. Nothing, there's no uh, substitute for life experience. And yeah. Beverly certainly has that in space. Yeah, I think that's the point they, they kind of make in that episode too is, you know, the readings might, might not show it, but, you know, this guy's in real pain. I can work out what it is. And, you know, that that's, yeah. that's kind of... I guess, I mean... You only learn that kind of stuff from just having experienced it before. Yeah, yeah, excellent. This is Bruce Horak, and you are listening to Unplanned...
I um, was surprised to see that you were also in Heroes back in the day as well. Um, I really enjoyed that show um, when it was on its run. Did, um, how did that, that opportunity come about and did you enjoy the time on the show? Oh, of course. I think um, I had originally offered, uh, auditioned for Silar wow. yeah. on the show. And then I think I auditioned for, uh, I forget the character's name, but the head of the carnival that went to Robert Nepper. Um, and then when the character of Eli rolled around, yeah. uh, I don't think I read for that. I think they were like, we've seen him a, a lot in our room for auditioning for roles. And I think that was also a straight offer. Uh, and the experience itself was fun. I mean, I made friends on that set uh, that I'm still friends with, Greg Grunberg, to this day. Oliver Grigsby, who was a writer for 12 Monkeys and uh, and, 12, uh, and Picard. He was a writer on Heroes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, every, every job you hope to come out of it with other than a paycheck, right? Yeah, and the yeah. fact that I made friends and, and relationships that endure from that from that situation really are exciting um i think uh playing the part is fun was fun but it was also like one of those like jokes that anytime they would see the character of eli show up in the script all the other actors would be like oh no that means five <laughs> extra setups because i had to do the scene five different times because my character is standing in five different places right. and they would break the lines up amongst us and so it was like move the camera move the camera move the camera so you knew that the day was going to be longer if my character was <laughs> in the scene like if i was carrying a body it wasn't just two actors carrying a body i would carry it and shoot the scene from this side and then i would swing around and carry the body from the other side and they would shoot it so it was always like five times as many setups right. so uh i mean again the actors were good natured about it but i could see if it had caused any like oh great this is gonna be a long day <laughs> it's fantastic yeah heroes was was a great show it was um yeah and for the for the time as well very different there wasn't really anything like that at the time so yeah, yeah really cool show yeah, superhero show yeah yeah The Tuvix Medal. Okay, for new players, the Tuvix Medal is awarded for anyone that passes away in the episode, named after one of the most controversial deaths in Starfleet history. Jamie was right. We did have a couple of deaths this week, so we uncovered the transporter dude. We, I don't get a name for him, but I've just written transporter dude. We also had an officer. Um, so when Seven was having one of her fights with the changeling, um, an officer was shot before he turned around and tried to shoot Seven, he, he being the Changeling. Um, and I'm going to say Changeling Sydney LaForge because it did, like, she got shot by Seven and kind of disintegrated, but it didn't look like standard Changeling puddle. It looked, it looked dead. It, it wasn't moving. It was unmoving. I was not moved. So we've got three votes this week on the, on the Tuvix medal. I nearly called it the Changeling medal. Um, the, the show that you're doing at the moment, Picard, is obviously really unique. It's not, it's not every day that you get a, a spin-off from 35 years ago. Um, what's it like working with um, a cast or indeed a family that is so 
entrenched and knowledgeable of each other and being, you know, the, the new boy on campus? Are that, is it hard to break in or are they aware of that and um, help people ease in to the community? Well, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, uh, I was I was a part of the show Picard. I was not part of Next Generation. So right. Picard had its own original characters, Ralphie yeah. and, and yeah. whatnot. And, and Seven actually wasn't part of TNG. Mm. Seven was part of Voyager and then Picard. And so most of my scenes were with Patrick and mm. Seven. Mm. And, uh, and so... So that's one part of the equation in that it was its own show. I was not guest starring on Next Generation. I was part of the cast of Picard. So that had its own kind of protective shell, if you will. Even though this was turning out to be a Next Generation reunion, Mm. uh, it was a reunion on the show Picard. So that's one part of the equation. The other part of the equation was, uh, and, and, and so let me back up and say to that, because it wasn't just Next Generation and, and Shaw is a character on Picard, they give him the room to have character development. Yeah. They give him the room to have his own arc and experiences. So uh, that that is a, a rare and wonderful thing. Now, also, I had worked with Franks. I had worked with Terry. Mm. Uh, and so the, those guys set a very welcome, welcome mat for me when I walked in that I was immediately accepted as part of the family. Everybody was. Like, every member of my crew, right. Stephanie Tchaikovsky, you know, uh, Jim Malley, like, they were all just immediately accepted as part of the Star Trek family and treated like we always were part of the family. As I, as I say, you know, Star Trek is, is a tree, is a family tree, and the branches are... Voyager, DS9, mm. Discovery. But the original series started this tree. Mm. But we're all related. We're all cousins, Discovery, Lower Decks, Prodigy. We're all we're all part of the same family tree and, and you're treated like a long like a cousin you'd never met before. Sure. Like uh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. That's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, like a big family reunion where you might not know each other or or might have heard of each other we can just yeah. just pick it up where so we left off when i met you know because i just went on the, the star trek cruise yeah. when i met like the now visitor mm. who's you know ds9 she treated me like oh you're part of this branch of the family yeah so great and everybody is so warm and we all recognize that we are um <clears throat> custodians of a legacy yeah, and that comes across with the way that the particularly the legacy actors, um, you, you know, when we see you on Twitter or even you know events like like the cruise, it, it does appear that they're very welcoming and supportive of of it continuing and excited about it too, which is which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that's awesome. Um, Should have they used. A saucer separation. Well, a saucer separation seems really obvious in this episode when you understand the personality of William Riker. You see, sure, imagine this. He's put Riker in charge. Then he comes back up to the bridge, or so he thinks the bridge, and he says to Riker, 
where the fuck is the saucer section? And Riker's like, what saucer section? I don't know what you're talking about. And Shaw's going on with, you know, the saucer section, the main part of the ship. And Riker's like, look, it's, it's not my job to keep track of, like, you know, every part of your ship. And Shaw would then come back with, uh, yeah, it literally was your job. Like, I literally put you in charge of the ship. To which Riker would say, well, dude, you snooze, you lose. And Shaw would be like, uh, I don't even understand what that means, but um, we kind of need a saucer section. And Riker's just going to come back with, well, you know, okay, maybe we had a saucer section, maybe we didn't have a saucer section, I don't know. I was, you know, I was down in 11 forward with, with, with Ensign Lynch, or I don't know what her name was, but she was very lovely, and, and she explained to me many, many things about the warp core. And if by warp core, I mean penis. Um, and Shaw would get more and more rage mad until Picard would be forced to intervene to say, I think, Will, we probably should um, let him know what happened to the saucer section. To which Riker would respond, Well, JL, you're assuming that I actually know. Because let's face it, Riker's not a man for detail. He's, if anybody's going to lose an entire saucer of a ship, it's probably him, and he's not going to be too worried about it, because, you know, did the saucer have his trombone on it? No, it didn't have his trombone on it. So he's going to be a bit like, OK, can this thing still fly around? Yeah, well, it's still got the nacelles, it's still got the engine-y bit. You know, I mean, it's really... this. Look, it's the equivalent of losing... The, you know, if you've got a convertible car, it's the equivalent of losing the roof. Um, it's, it's bad in a grand scheme of things, but your boss is going to have to pay for fixing it, so who really gives a crap? And that is why we know that the Titan can definitely separate its saucer. A couple of uh, shorter questions um, for you. This is, this is just a yes or no one. It's my, my cheeky question for you today, Todd. Is there anything you can't tell us? Yes. Whoa, that's an exclusive. I'm taking it. <laughs> yes, there's things I can't tell you. Great, thank you. <laughs> so if, that's a, if that's a scoop that I'm not allowed to give spoilers, yeah. run with it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's going to that's gonna win Twitter today. Um, my other question is, I asked this one to Doug Jones once on Twitter, um, who's from Discovery, and at the time... I've known Doug for 23 years. That's awesome. So you met him at about the turn of the millennium? I met Doug, uh, I believe in 2000, we met on the set of CSI. Oh, wow. Oh, what a lucky set. <laughs> so I asked him that if, if um, when you're on set, and given that you've got the role of captain... Are you allowed to boss the ensigns and lieutenants about in real life? No. Uh, he, he said, I, I wish. <laughs> no. Well, I, look, I don't like bossing anybody. Yeah. Right? Um, I, uh, no. I mean, it, it's all egalitarian. It's, I mean, we're all just actors yeah. playing roles. Exactly. So it's, it's not like uh, there's actually those hierarchies off the page. Yeah, that's right. We're all just there trying to make the best show that we can. 
uh, uh, I mean, the fun part is they they all uh, you know when you walk around, people go captain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. And then you say things like as you were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you couldn't help but, it. Uh, but it's all it's all a good fun. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, but there is a deference even in the fan community for for some reason to the role of captain. Mm. There is there yeah. is this sort of interesting because they're like no it's a it's a it's an exclusive table that mm. you get to sit at and and it's a it's an entrustment by the the writers and producers with a position in it but again once they yell cut we're all just yeah happy. yeah yeah and and when when the seat ends as well um re- recently you've been talking um a bit on twitter about it um i, I believe it's a is it a book that you've written or been involved with uh, it's a book that uh, I uh, I co-created yeah. with um, with uh, a, a man by the name of Brandon Cleely, uh, who's a former Imagineer for Disney, uh, and I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, cool. And, and he uh, he was very involved in uh, Trader Sam's, the tiki uh, bar at Disney, and he's very much into mm. tiki culture. And so we decided to combine our love of Dungeons and Dragons and Tiki and created a, uh, a cocktail book that oh, uh, wow. is Dungeons and Dragons inspired cocktails with, uh, with art and short stories and uh, a playable one shot. So, you know, during the <clears throat> height of the lockdown, uh, I needed I had idle hands and I want, yeah. I'm a maker. I like to, I'm a nerdy maker and I like to make things. And so I decided to like, what can I do? What can I do from my laptop and make things? And so I decided to create a, uh, a merchandise site where I can share my love of the things that are nerdy, which is D and D and the nerdy shows that I've been on supernatural 12 monkeys and create content for people to buy whether it's dice mm. or glasses or dice towers or t-shirts or a book uh and it's called the nerd circus because i realized that's what my life is it's great and so if people go to the nerdcircus.com they can see my groovy wares and nerdy paraphernalia it's got like a little 70s vibe to everything yeah cool it's a it's a good way of getting through that period too we all had at different yeah. ways a lot of um I, 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 some people started podcasts. Yeah, exactly. People, yeah. You know, that we, we found a way to uh, utilize that time when we had to be insular yeah. and looking for ways to reach out and connect to people through as many different ways as we could. And so that was one way that I could connect with my passions and keep those passions alive and vibrant and, and put something good and whimsical and playful and fun into the world. Yeah. That's it, it's wonderful. And, yeah, making the most of the opportunity, like when you when you can't do anything, okay, what can I do? <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Is um, Todd Stashwick a dipshit from Chicago? Uh, aren't we all just a dipshit from Chicago? Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not from Chicago. I definitely qualify as dipshit. Metaphorically? Yeah. Oh, yeah, always. Metaphorically, we're all just dipshits from Chicago. Yeah, fantastic. You know, I, I, can we get t-shirts? I, that, uh, I don't have a t-shirt that says that, but I could. Yeah. Uh, I think I think what I love about that is I love the idea that you know there's a humbling aspect to that idea, and that it keeps you grounded to to your roots, to who you are. And, and the reality is, yes, I 
grew up in Chicago, yeah. many, many people would line up to call me a dipshit. So, <laughs> uh, I think uh, Terry put that in there as a wink to my own personal roots. My father fixed uh, machines for a living. He fixed right. machines. He knew how to fix a car. Like Those are skills that I personally don't have. But it was certainly something that I grew up uh, witnessing around. And there's a sort of a blue-collar grace to... Uh, to my dad as well as to Shaw. Uh, I think uh, I think I tried yeah. to pull a little bit of that into into him and and having you know the writers are the ones that made him from Chicago, not I. Yeah. But, uh, I I love it. I love it when 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 I get to celebrate my uh, my hometown. Yeah, that's it's good to do, isn't it? Uh, like everyone gets a bit, you know sentimental or, or proud of where they're from I think it's it's nice to and, yeah and it's nice to see the the writers bring that to the character particularly if they had you in mind when they were writing him so that, that's a nice yeah. wink as you say um is there anything that your work well I'm, I'm, I'm I don't mean Trek so I'm not trying to be sneaky here but is there anything you're working on at the moment or anything that's about to come out that you'd like to um promote or or let us know about today sure uh oh uh people can go to the nerdcircus.com to see what fun little tricks that I'm pulling out of my sleeve um, I'm currently co-writing on a Captain America Black Panther video game for Skydance New Media and Marvel uh, I have a video game that I co-wrote that's out currently called Forspoken that you can pick up for PS5 awesome I uh, and I have a Jennifer Garner led a project on Apple TV that I did a few episodes of called The Last Thing He Told Me. And uh, and then I'm, I'm going to be appearing at a lot of Star Trek conventions in the year. So Yeah, great. Make, busy. make the most oh, of next it. Next week I'm going to Gary Con, which is the, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a intimate uh, Dungeons and Dragons convention in Lake Geneva, which is the home base of, of, uh, of, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm going to go do that. Excellent. It might surprise you, but we have quite a few nerds that listen to this podcast. <laughs> and that's shocking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, shocking. But I'm I'm at the level of nerd that I've never gone D and D because it's, um, and this is ironic because Star Trek is as well. But it's so big that I don't really know where to start. For, for new players, you start by or getting the starter kit. Yeah, you start by getting the starter kit or the essentials kit, and then you, you yourself teach yourself how to be a dungeon master, which is just you read the rule book and then you take it one thing at a time, and then you do the module that's in the starter kit. Right. You grab four friends that uh, have like I've always wanted to play D and D, and then you sit them at the table, and then you start playing D and D, and it's essentially a great reason to gather with friends and tell imaginary stories and have adventures and have a beer and have a laugh and the adventure continues so it's improvised storytelling where the dice uh determine the outcome of your choices so Excellent. you want to try something and then you roll the dice and see if it works if it doesn't work the story goes this way if it works the story goes that way and you just follow it uh it's so it's so much fun it's so much fun it's uh and it's it's a, it's not unapproachable. That's why they have a thing called the essentials kit or the yeah. starter kit yeah. to teach you how to play it. But I would recommend that people are interested in Dungeons and Dragons teach yourself how to be a dungeon master. That way, you're the one 
starting the party as opposed to waiting to be invited to a party. That's that's good advice for life, not just D and D. That's great. Yeah. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. <laughs> You've been incredibly generous with your time. Thanks so much for for being on today. Um, Absolute pleasure. We'll put a link to your website in in the description too for people that want to want to check that out too. But yeah, all, all the best. We we really are crossing our fingers that Captain Shaw can survive the next six episodes. Where um, another one's coming out tonight. We're we're super stoked for it, and yeah, can't wait to see where the adventure the takes us. I just I just uh, recently screened it. Uh, it's really fun. It's really fun. Oh great! <laughs> it's really I can't fun. wait. Thank you so much, Todd. Take care of yourself. Well, what a show that was. Absolutely fantastic, mate. I reckon I reckon that puts us about 27 one-thousandths of the way to being an awesomely real radio show. I know. Crazy, right? Yeah. Um, so, look, um, everybody, if you're listening to what we're doing and, you know, Firstly, like, wow, thank you so much. Can you jump on whatever service that you listen to the show on and put a review up because it, um, it, it helps other people find the show and it grows our audience. And if you grow our audience, well, makes me feel better. And it also means that we can probably get more and more guests on the show because I think that's what makes it absolutely fantastic. Now, you can follow us on Twitter at Unplanned Trek. You can... Send us an email, uh, unplannedtrek at gmail.com. We have a Facebook and an Instagram page, apparently. Although, you know, if you go to those, you're in very great danger of seeing a picture of the two of us, which is, I don't know, somewhere between awesome and not. Um, And most importantly, um, listen again next week because, you know, I reckon this show is just going to get better and better um until then live long and prospect it's just not what you'd expect that's unplanned track unplanned Thank you for listening to Unplanned Trek. The show is written by Isaac Brown and improvised by Andrew Hogan. We upload our podcast weekly via Acast. You can find links to other episodes and merch at unplannedtrek.com. This is also where you can find our Patreon page, where amongst other things, you can hear our exclusive podcast on Star Trek V, which we're reviewing one minute at a time. Follow our socials on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or write to us at hello at unplannedtrek.com. If you like what you hear, make sure you get notifications from your favourite podcast provider to make sure you know when we next release a pod. Unplanned Trek is part of the Anodyne Relay Network of Podcasts. We're thankful to all our listeners, including you. Special thanks to David Joseph Moody. Live long and prosper. I'm Todd Starswick, and you are listening to Unplanned Trek.